Welcome to Diving Deep, part of the Fixing Healthcare podcast series. I am one of your hosts, Jeremy Kaur, also host of the popular New Books and Medicine podcast and CEO of Executive Podcast Solutions. With me is Dr. Robert Pearl. For 18 years, Robert was the CEO of the Permanente Medical Group, the nation's largest physician group. He is currently a Forbes contributor, a professor at both the Stanford University School of Medicine and Business, and author of the best-selling books, Mistreated, Why We Think We're Getting Good Healthcare and Why We're Usually Wrong, and Uncaring, How the Culture of Medicine Kills Doctors and Patients. All profits from his books will go to Doctors Without Borders. If you want information on a broad range of healthcare topics, you can visit his website, robertperlmd.com. Robbie, over the past month, we've heard from dozens of listeners wanting more information about ChatGPT and generative AI applications relative to their overall safety and potential risks. In this episode of Diving Deep, I plan to address their concerns not only in areas such as security, privacy, and bias, but also how it will impact the patient-doctor relationship and a variety of other ethical issues. So, Robbie, are you hearing these types of worries and fears when you speak at conferences and talk with the media? Jeremy, I absolutely am. You know, the pace of introduction of generative AI is unprecedented. It can now create text, music, and even video in seconds. It's hard to imagine that it was less than six months ago that OpenAI launched its first version, ChatGPT, and within four months, it released GPT-4, which is massively more powerful with speed and abilities that represent a quantum leap forward. When companies like Apple release its next generation iPhone or computer, the differences are relatively minimal. When it comes to generative AI, they are massive and likely to continue. Can you provide some examples? Jeremy, you may remember that the original version of ChatGPT did pass the U.S. medical licensing exam, but barely. And then within a couple of months, Google's MedPalm 2 scored in the expert category. And now GBT4 has aced multiple exams in a range of medical specialties, including neurosurgery. It was an interesting experiment. Researchers had GBT4 and doctors each respond to text and email messages from patients. They then took the responses and asked other clinicians to read each and rate the quality of the response based both on medical information and on empathy. Not only did 75% of evaluators rate the medical responses better than what the physicians wrote, but an equal percentage rated the empathy shown by GPT-4 as greater than what the physicians demonstrated. And yet, as you noted at the start of today's podcast, fears and concerns abound. Similar to our listeners, according to a recent Pew Research poll, six in 10 American adults say they'd feel uncomfortable with their doctor relying on artificial intelligence to diagnose the disease and provide treatment recommendations. How valid do you believe these fears are, Robbie? Jeremy, let me begin by pointing out that the current versions of generative AI, including GPT-4, they're not ready for broad use in healthcare. They occasionally fail at basic math. They make up sources and they hallucinate, providing confident, yet factually incorrect responses to questions. 
As we've discussed on this and other podcasts and our Fixing Healthcare Weekly series, the versions that currently are available, they're toys compared to what's coming. Maybe they have 2% of the power that future generations will possess a decade or so in the future. And I'm confident that the computer scientists and engineers at OpenAI, Google, Microsoft, they're going to correct these errors over the next few years. This won't be the big problems that we face in the future. Will that eliminate the concerns people reported? Unfortunately, Jeremy, no. Those fixes alone won't address the two biggest concerns that patients reported in the Pew survey. The first set of concerns were technological risks. They include security, privacy, and bias. And the second set, these are the ethical concerns about the interplay between machines and humans. But it's important to put people's fears into context. Humans have long held suspicions about new technologies. Think back to how bank customers in the 1970s resisted using ATMs, fearing the machines would eat their cards and mishandle their money. Indeed, cash point errors were common at first, where banks made the tweaks that were needed and the roots of people's tech-driven fears stopped materializing. The fears themselves faded from consciousness. This process is known as habituation. And today, a growing percentage of the American populace does all of their banking and financial transactions electronically. I believe the same will occur with generative AI. Of course, when it comes to the use of generative AI in medicine, people's fears around security, privacy, and bias, they're valid. They're understandable. I mean, we're talking about people's lives. So these fears need to be taken seriously. But rather than just fearing the possibility of a problem, I'd suggest that the appropriate context isn't whether something can theoretically go wrong, but rather whether generative AI poses a greater risk than the technologies that people already use in their day-to-day -day lives. And for a variety of reasons, I don't believe that it does. Okay, then, let's discuss the risks one at a time. Can you begin with security? Sure, Jeremy. As you know, banks, government bodies, and healthcare companies alike house sensitive information in large databases, and all of them, therefore, have implemented security systems. And that's especially true now as more and more data on individuals moves to the cloud, the internet-based service in which these large databases run. As such, the path has been created to generate safety when it comes to security. And we can expect that AI companies will follow this lead with a similar high probability of success. But having said that, cybersecurity remains a major concern in the United States. Research shows that nine in 10 Americans are worried that hackers will access their personal or financial information and use it for, for nefarious purposes. As such, when it comes to ChatGPT and healthcare, patients appropriately are concerned, even if generative AI doesn't significantly increase the risk of future cyber attacks. For perspective, and contrary to what patients might assume, 
a solo doctor's office is one of the least secure places to house personal medical data. Lone physician practices lack the financial and technological resources to install top-of-the-line network security tools, and that makes patient data extremely vulnerable. If that's the case, why aren't cyber criminals hacking into individual doctors' offices more often then? Jeremy, the reason is that large data systems containing hundreds of thousands or even millions of patient records are just far more valuable than the information in an individual doctor's office. Ironically, the thing that makes medical records safer from a security perspective inside the local doctor's office is the same thing that makes the medical record system relatively ineffective. Unless the doctor belongs to a large medical group, the health record isn't likely to be connected with or even available to other physician offices or surrounding hospitals. The government healthcare officials have attempted for decades to incentivize secure patient record sharing. Very few providers today can access a comprehensive medical record system. As a result, even when clinicians in the same community use the identical digital record-keeping platform, most often they can't access all the data on each patient, and that's what's needed to provide optimal medical care. In order to judge whether the cybersecurity risks are worth taking, let me ask you, how big a problem is fragmentation of medical information? Jeremy, I think people underestimate the magnitude of the problem. The lack of easy-to-access comprehensive healthcare information at every point of medical care, it's not just ineffective, it's also dangerous. If you're seeing multiple physicians, there can be duplication of similar tests. There can be a lack of recognition of drug interactions. There can be problems when treatment of one of the systems in your body, your heart, let's say, your kidneys, the treatment contradicts what's needed for your lung or for your brain. These are all problems that happen when doctors are using incomplete information. And if you end up in the ER late at night when your doctor's office is closed, the emergency physician on staff won't be able to look up your medical history, your current prescriptions, recent diagnostic tests, or other vital information needed to provide you with the best care possible. As such, security in medicine, it's a double-edged sword. As patients, we want our medical data to be safely off limits to malicious hackers, but we also need that information to be comprehensive and readily available wherever we go for care, regardless of the time of day or day of the week. What can we do to address this challenge? Unfortunately, generative AI applications won't be able to solve this problem unless the electronic health record manufacturers open their application programming interfaces, the APIs. If they were willing to do so, third-party developers could create applications to extract the data and reformat it in ways that would allow it to be integrated into a single record and readily available to any doctor authorized by the patient to access it. But these companies aren't likely to do that. 
because then it would make it easier for physicians to stop using one product and shift to another, one that was far less expensive. As such, we've talked about the need to accomplish interoperability and comprehensiveness for over two decades. And the truth is little is different today than in the past. However, when it comes to security and generative AI, the good news is that by using this tool, it won't increase people's security risk. We can expect that these generative AI creators will implement cybersecurity protection with solid firewalls that are difficult to penetrate, similar to what large financial institutions and electronic health record companies currently do as they store vast quantities of digitalized information. Everyone should realize that it's in the reputational and economic interest of generative AI companies to ensure they have the same level of security as banks and financial institutions. Let's move on to the issue of privacy. Is this different than the risks from security? Jeremy, although large companies work very hard to maximize data security, the reality is that their business models have long depended on compromising user privacy. I remember when a congressman asked Mark Zuckerberg how Facebook survives as a business that doesn't charge user fees, the CEO responded by advertising. Translating what Zuckerberg meant into practice, in essence, he was acknowledging that his social network makes its money by selling and applying the user's personal information to third parties. And for decades, we, the people who use social media sites and use search engines every day, we've been making it a fact of trade. We hand over our personal information to advertisers in exchange for free access. That is the trade that we make. In medicine, it's illegal to extract and disclose data from medical records, but that doesn't guarantee total patient privacy. As an example, news reports recently exposed that hospitals and pharmacies have engaged in online data sharing with third parties, third parties that will use that information with advertisers, and they've done this without explicit permission from patients. Unfortunately, in today's world, complete privacy is an illusion. Are there any other privacy risks? Yes, Jeremy. Whenever people search their symptoms on the internet or make online purchases to treat health problems, that information also becomes available to companies to target ads. It's why people receive coupons for diapers within days of learning they're pregnant. And of course, there exists a variety of scams that individuals fall, fall for. Overall, as with security, there's nothing about generative AI that magnifies user privacy risks. There'll be no more in the future than what currently happens in the existing social digital media landscape that almost all Americans visit today. If people aren't comfortable with privacy in the tools that are currently available, they'll probably not be comfortable with future generations of AI. But for most of us who make that trade-off each day, 
and use search engines and use a variety of retail tools, the increased risk created by ChatGPT and future generations of generative AI should not be any greater than we otherwise would be experiencing. Let's move on to the question of bias in AI. I know this has been controversial in the past. You're right, Jeremy. This has been very controversial. And contrary to what you might guess, and unlike in the areas of security and privacy, where Pew survey respondents indicated high levels of concern, most people surveyed by Pew predicted a generative AI will reduce medical bias in the future, that was 51%, rather than increase it, which was only 15%. Researchers continue to identify biases both in how doctors practice as well as in the algorithmic tools that they currently use in medicine. And we know these biased IT applications can exacerbate existing healthcare inequities, magnifying the gap in the quality of care patients receive based on their gender, race, ethnicity, and income. As such, these concerns about bias in medical algorithms, they're very valid, and the need for solutions remains urgent. But lost in the headlines about these algorithms is the fact that the errors produced aren't a consequence of the programmers were the coded zeros and ones. Contrary to what people fear, the truth is that computers and algorithms are not biased. Humans are. But when computers spit out biased recommendations, they're not doing it because of something faulty in the programming. They're doing so because they've been trained based upon human behaviors and decisions, ones that have been biased in the past and ones that continue to be biased today. Can you expand on what you mean by the problem being one of human bias, not the application? Certainly. You know, in a traditional, and I'm gonna use the term narrow AI application, and this is very different than generative AI. What the computer does is try to mimic how physicians practice. And it does so by using large amounts of clinical patient information. It compares a population of patients and the treatment provided, and it assumes that the care delivered is excellent, and it looks for the ways that better care can be provided versus what has been done when the outcomes have not been as good. As a result, when doctors provide patients of one race or sex with less care for the same problem, the computer system assumes that these individuals aren't as sick or don't require complex treatments as often as the other individuals. Phrased differently, the application is created based on the belief that current medical treatment is optimal. And when it isn't, there isn't any way for the technology to identify 
the human failings because the only information that's been given has been driven by the way that doctors are practicing. Although few individuals are aware of the bias that they show, researchers identified dozens of examples of discriminatory action by doctors. These behaviors and decisions reflect implicit bias. In the United States, for example, doctors recommend breast reconstruction for black patients following mastectomy far less often than for white patients. They prescribe less pain medication to black and Hispanic patients than to white individuals after surgery. And early in the pandemic, when black individuals were twice as likely to die from COVID-19 as white individuals, physicians tested black patients for the virus only half as often as they tested white patients with identical symptoms. The same is true when it comes to taking complaints seriously, such as for chest pain, or by recommending sophisticated diagnostic and therapeutic procedures for individuals with heart failure. Therefore, when creators of these narrow AI tools input this data based on actual patient care into the application, the algorithm assumes that black patients don't need breast reconstruction as often as white patients, don't require as much pain medication, don't need testing as often as for white individuals where they're less likely to be having a heart attack. The machine interprets the data given as optimal treatment. And as a result, when it mimics that, it creates treatment that is similarly equally biased. That is what needs to change in medical practice and what I'm hoping future generations of artificial intelligence will facilitate. So how will generative AI impact this area of bias? Fortunately, Jeremy, generative AI has the potential to reduce the prevalence of bias in medicine. That's because it includes a much broader range of inputs than AI applications developed for specific medical functions like reading mammograms or managing diabetes. In contrast to these narrow AI applications, generative AI has been constructed to answer a nearly infinite number of questions and perform an unlimited number of functions. To facilitate that ability, the applications are pre-trained using vast data sets, ones that may unintentionally include biases in patient care, but also ones that include evidence-based research on the existence and the dangers of bias in medicine. So when physicians forget to offer breast reconstruction, prescribe adequate pain medication, or order necessary laboratory tests for a black or Hispanic patient, ChatGPT will be able to question the doctor's decision. And in that way, it will bend away from medical bias and towards a more equitable form of care for all. We've talked about the more technical concerns relative to generative AI. What about the more personal ones relative to the doctor-patient relationship? Jeremy, you're right about the personal nature of that relationship. The truth is that medicine is like no other profession, at least no other legal profession. In quiet and brightly lit rooms, doctors ask patients to disrobe, confess their secrets, and grant permission to be stuck with needles and knives. These are crimes in any other context. 
In medicine, they lay the foundation for deep interpersonal trust. And in this profession, forged by intimate human relationships, patients are increasingly worried about the impact that artificial intelligence tools like ChatGPT will have. According to the Pew Research poll that we discussed earlier, the majority of patients fear their healthcare provider will rely too much on AI to diagnose disease and recommend treatment. 60% of respondents had that concern. And 57% were worried that AI will cause them to lose their personal connection with their healthcare provider. How are these doctor-patient relationship issues different from the more technical ones? Jeremy, researchers can objectively measure many areas of clinical performance. They can, for example, test how accurately radiologists interpret mammograms and chest X-rays for pneumonia. They can then compare these results against computer applications performing the same tasks. These scientific measures are important, but as you know, the practice of medicine it isn't always quantifiable. Patients frequently go to healthcare professionals with problems that have no objective or right answer. The moral principles that govern individual behavior and the ethics that shape the decisions of doctors, they are and always will be hotly debated. In fact, the AMA, the American Medical Association, maintains a vast code of ethics, which spans 11 chapters and contains 161 opinions on the proper conduct of modern practitioners. In those pages and in the profession itself, reasonable people disagree on a wide range of medical ethical topics. Should physician-assisted death be legal? How best to allocate organs to those in need of transplants? What are the indications for the use of unproven treatments for life-threatening diseases? These questions have no clear-cut right or wrong answer. Patients rely on their doctors to help them navigate these ethical uncertainties. Now they fear a generative AI will erode and undermine that personal connection. What is your perspective on these concerns? Jeremy, I believe that this fear is understandable. However, I'm optimistic that the application of generative AI will improve medical care, facilitate ethical decision-making, and even strengthen the bond between doctors and patients rather than undermining what exists in any of these areas. But getting to that point, I believe that will require a shift in thinking. What type of shift in thinking will be needed, Robbie? Jeremy, as people, we tolerate mistakes made by other humans who are far less forgiving of equivalent mistakes made by machines. Let me give you an example. Imagine we could flip a switch and suddenly all the cars in the United States became autonomous self-driving vehicles. No car on the road would have a steering wheel, gas pedal, or brake pedal. No way for humans to seize control. Now let's assume that in year one of this grand experiment, technological failures result in 10,000 deaths. Under these circumstances, do you think the media and most Americans would view the shift from human-driven to automated cars as a success? 
course, we can't be sure, but it's not hard for me to picture the fallout based on the coverage of self-driving car accidents to date. I think the internet and our TVs would be littered with gory images of the crashes. Fear would spread. Millions of Americans would demand that humans reclaim control of every vehicle. And lost in that uproar would be an important fact. Each year, roughly 40,000 to 50,000 Americans die in their vehicles as a result of human error. These deaths are well known to organizations like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and they're mourned by grieving families. But unless the victim's someone we know, the human-generated carnage largely goes ignored. We blame crashes on reckless individuals, drunk drivers, distracted teens, but we assume we never harm a person ourselves. And when we read about a driverless car, however, and it strikes a pedestrian, we conclude the technology itself is just fatally flawed. The same pro-human anti-tech bias, I think it's likely to surface as generative AI plays a bigger and bigger role in medicine. Can you expand on this uh, pro-human and anti-tech bias? Happy to, Jeremy. You know, when pollsters asked patients who they trust, topping the list were nurses at 71%, healthcare workers they knew at 70%, and doctors at 67%. By contrast, depending upon the survey, somewhere between 34 and 44% of the U.S. public is confident in the American healthcare system overall. As humans, we place our confidence in people, not systems. Unfortunately, the data contradict our trust in the medical profession. Nearly one in four hospitalized patients experience a medical error, and tens of thousands die unnecessarily each year as a result. Similarly, omissions in prevention and the optimal treatment of chronic disease result and hundreds of thousands of avoidable heart attacks, strokes, and cancer deaths in the U.S. each year. Despite objective evidence that clinicians are far from perfect, we tolerate human-generated medical errors in a similar way to the way we accept human-generated traffic deaths. We assume our own doctors wouldn't commit the same errors as these other doctors, and we do so without any supporting data or evidence for our conclusion. But we fear that the introduction of revolutionary technology, including generative AI, will harm us. Becoming more comfortable with new technology, it just takes time. Whether it was the first cars put on the road, with the introduction of the ATM, people worried about the risks, and they continued to cling to the approaches of the past despite their limitations. But by the next generation, everyone wanted the new technology that their parents had feared. And we see the same thing relative to generative AI, even though it's only been out for about six months so far. Recent survey data show that teenagers use ChatGPT frequently, and they're very optimistic about its future value, while their parents, they've been much slower to try generative AI, and they remain less certain that the technology will prove positive in the future. How do you see medicine becoming better through the introduction of generative AI? 
Jeremy, first, it will help patch current cracks in the doctor-patient relationship. Whereas doctors in the past were well-known and widely respected members of their close-knit communities, the relationship between physicians and patients today, it's intermittent and far less personal. And that's problematic given the medical difficulties that patients face today. As we've discussed on this show several times, more than 60% of adults live with chronic diseases. These impact people who have them every day. And more than ever, patients would benefit from continuous monitoring and faster medical intervention. But because of the overwhelming demands placed on physicians, patient care in the United States remains discontinuous with contact limited to return visits scheduled every four to six months. Generative AI offers a solution. ChatGPT will be able to serve as a medical assistant, not in the physician's office, but in the patient's home, helping to make care more continuous. AI technologies combined with home monitoring devices will provide daily oversight, alerting patients and doctors when the readings generated by the machine fall outside of the clinical plan. AI will then be able to help patients get the care they need quickly and conveniently. How else will it help patients, Ravi? Studies indicate that there are huge gaps between the quality of care patients require and the actual care most receive in the United States today. As an example, half of U.S. adults live with high blood pressure, also known as hypertension, and that puts them at heightened risk for heart attacks, kidney failure, and stroke. For the overwhelming majority of these patients, the problem can be successfully controlled through affordable, available medications. Yet nationwide, only 60% of patients with hypertension have their blood pressure appropriately controlled. Compare that with some healthcare groups where more than 80% and often 90% of patients have their elevated blood pressure optimally managed. The difference? Nearly all successful health groups incorporate advanced IT systems, and they use evidence-based approaches to improve screening, monitoring, and medical treatment. So rather than fearing the future of generative AI, I believe Americans can look forward to fewer strokes, fewer heart attacks, and fewer failed kidneys. Already tools like Glass AI 2.0 are helping doctors create differential diagnoses and clinical plans in a matter of seconds, increasing the time that physicians can spend with patients. Moreover, as AI technology becomes more adept at voice-enabled documentation, it will further free up clinicians so that they can spend the majority of their time focusing on the patient rather than the computer in front of them. Finally, when a physician is uncertain about a diagnosis or treatment, ChatGPT and future generations of generative AI will be reliable and a rapid source of medical expertise. What many listeners may not realize is that medical knowledge doubles every 73 days. No doctor can keep up with that pace of change. Generative AI can. And when patients have a rare and unusual problem, physicians will be able to immediately access the most recent journal article with a case report on the symptom, the problem, or the disease. What about in areas of ethical considerations? 
Jeremy, when it comes to helping people make end-of-life choices or decide whether to undergo a risky procedure, physicians frequently do a poor job guiding them. The reality is that many clinicians aren't comfortable discussing palliative care or acknowledging the futility of additional treatment. For them, telling a patient there's nothing they can do, it feels like a failure. Research shows that patients want the truth. They want nothing but the truth. They want to understand their illness. They want to understand their prognosis. And they want to understand it and make the choice of the options that exist. And studies show that people live longer, not shorter, when they elect palliative care rather than futile end-of-life treatments. Generative AI won't replace physicians in counseling patients through these difficult and painful decisions, but it will help them to consider a broader range of possibilities. It will help expand their analytic frameworks and reach better conclusions than if they'd worked alone. And it will assist patients to obtain additional perspectives on the questions they're trying to answer and find tools to assist them along their journey. Robbie, beyond medicine, people have expressed existential questions about the danger AI poses. Can you comment on that? Jeremy, you're absolutely right. This is a concern many individuals from a broad range of disciplines have voiced. In a frequently cited study, AI researchers and other experts were asked the following question. What probability do you put on human inability to control future advanced AI systems causing human extinction? The median answer, 10%. And that of course is very worrisome. But left out of the news reports was another part of the study where the overall optimism that the technology will provide massive help for humanity in addressing and solving multiple other existential threats, climate threats, infectious disease pandemics. This is the optimism that the same individuals working in the field of AI had for the future. As we've said, disruptive technologies are always met with grave concern, and ChatGPT will be no exception. In medicine, we can expect that generative AI will impact the doctor-patient relationship, and it will replace humans for many tasks, but it also will give doctors more time with patients, and as a result, it will reduce physician burnout and increase patient satisfaction. And future generations of ChatGPT will be far more powerful than what exists today, making them capable of improving quality outcomes, empowering patients, increasing healthcare's access, lowering medical costs, reducing medical errors. Yes, this technology creates risk, but it also makes the promise of better health exponentially greater for everyone. As a nation, we will need to do our best to maximize security, protect privacy, and eliminate bias. And we'll need to protect and improve the doctor-patient relationship and facilitate the ethical debate needed for people to reach the best clinical and personal decisions. But along the way, we will need to be careful not to hinder and block 
opportunities for generative AI to improve our health and make our lives better? Will a small percentage of doctors and patients misuse the technology? Unfortunately, the answer is probably yes, but we'll far more use it to save lives, maximize health, and improve the lives of patients. Here, I'm optimistic. The answer is an emphatic and definite yes. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll tell your friends and colleagues about it. Please follow Fixing Healthcare on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. Visit our website at fixinghealthcarepodcast.com. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Fixing HC Podcast. Thank you for listening to Fixing Healthcare, Diving Deep with Dr. Robert Pearl and Jeremy Kaur. Have a great day.